0: I moved back into my parents' house at 27 years old with no money, didn't take a salary for, for, for two years and worked seven days a week. Like showing that level of sacrifice and, and work rate says to an investor that you're gonna give it everything.
1: Hi plant friends, I'm Robbie Lockie and this is another episode of the PBN Podcast. This week's episode is with Mr. Louis Blake. He's a successful vegan entrepreneur who owns and operates Open House, the UK's largest plant-based restaurant which opened in Norwich. A second branch recently opened in Brighton, UK. Louis was also the founder of California Kitchen in London's Fitzrovia, the all-day pink-coloured cafe, which opened to rave reviews in 2018. Along with his eating empires, Louis is a marketing and brand consultant, as well as a public speaker. Louis recently named as a restaurant marketeer and innovator future leader of 2019. Louis is also a dear friend of mine and I really loved having the conversation with him. He is always such a joy to talk to and always so inspiring as well. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to comment, like and share on social media. And if you're on iTunes, please do leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Thanks so much and let's get to the episode. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Louis. It's great to sit down with you.
0: Mate, no, always great to catch up, always good to talk. I'm Lou Blake. I'm managing director of Erpingham House, which is a plant-based restaurant in Norwich and was my first restaurant. Um, I went vegan four years ago and what I found was it was particularly hard to find places to take friends and families to try the food without feeling like you had to be a vegan to go there. So essentially what both restaurants aim to do is to normalise uh, plant-based and vegan foods. It really surprises people just what you can do with, with just plants.
1: So we did actually try and record this podcast in the past, but due to some gremlins and tech failures, uh, we're having to do a take two. So I'm excited to talk to you about all your endeavors. Um, Obviously, a lot has happened in the last few months, namely, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, which is had a lot of effects on people's businesses and you're certainly no stranger to business and we'll definitely get into that but before we begin as always I'd love to hear uh, your vegan story you know that's what joins us that's what brought us together and that's how we met each other how did you get involved with the movement and how did you become the passionate vegan that you are today?
0: I think I was probably the most unlikely person to become vegan at one point if you'd have said to me 10 years ago that I was going to be a vegan. I mean, I didn't even know what a vegan was, to be honest, uh, but I certainly wouldn't have seen myself as, as, as one. As a male, culture teaches us we need to be many things. We need to be tough, strong, we can't cry, we shouldn't show emotions. We cling to this idea of masculinity and dismiss anything that challenges it. But why isn't it masculine to be kind to animals, to care where our food comes from, and exactly what we're putting into our bodies? Because we believe the narrative that tells us we need meat for protein? Because we used to be hunters? There's nothing manly about supporting the slaughter of innocent animals, many of which are babies when they're killed. There's nothing manly about impotence, prostate cancer, or infertility. All ailment studies have linked to the consumption of animal proteins. And what's so tough about heart attacks and diabetes and spending time laid up sick? It can take courage to take that first step and explain to others why you're choosing a bean burger over a beef burger. It's totally worth it. We can survive and thrive eating plant-based diets without even a hint of protein deficiency. So around six years ago, I was, had a couple of startups at the same time, was working long hours and with that eating out every day, you know, not great food, on the go all the time, not really taking care of my health. And uh, I had chronic fatigue. i I'd just burnt out. I had a month off work. And in that process, I obviously wanted to get back to work as quickly as possible. And I was looking for ways to feel healthier and, and, and get some energy and some life back. And what kept coming up was an increase in fruits and vegetables, decrease in processed foods, particularly animal-based foods. And I went into kind of the, down the rabbit hole on YouTube, as as you do, and ended up watching uh, a few videos about plant-based diets. So I thought I'll give it a go for a month, see how I feel. Um, Not really conscious of the other sides of it in terms of environment and kind of uh, animals, which obviously I, I learned about later, but at that point it was very much about health and after a month I just felt incredible my skin cleared up was sleeping better better mental clarity and I felt a lot better I was discovering new foods and I was excited about food again which I hadn't been for a while I'd kind of seen food as a way to sustain and, and and keep alive as opposed to something to enjoy and to give kind of vitality so yeah I did a month and after that I then looked further and further into it and started to understand you know how the choices I was making previously had had a negative impact both on animals and on, and on the world around me from a sustainability perspective. So I'm one of those people, I guess, where if I do something, I want to do it fully and know everything there is to know about it. So um, as time went on, I quickly realized that I was a bit of a contradiction to continue working, doing the work I was doing in hospitality with kind of a lot of animal-based products and restaurants. And I left my business and started a uh, and just changed basically everything as a result.
1: (laughs) Amazing. And, you know, you're a man who doesn't seem to stop every time I look at your Instagram or look at what you're up to. There's always some new and exciting thing that you're getting involved in. Entrepreneurship seems to be in your blood. Tell us about how that all began for you. Like, when did you were you were you the kind of kid who had like a, a lemonade stand or like what are you where did you get the bug to to sort of get involved in business because it's definitely not for the faint-hearted it's exceptionally hard work and it's really painful at times but where did you get that bug to to get involved in business like you do
0: I think I realized I'm unemployable really at a young age <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's going to I think it's going you know be in control and and
0: to a degree being in control but also live on on my own terms so yeah like you know, as a kid, I would did all that stuff in terms of washing cars, et cetera. And being told we weren't necessarily given pocket money. So if you want if you want money as a kid, you have to go and earn it. And it's trying to I was, I guess, used to get a little bit creative in terms of how to go out and, and make money. And then you kind of realize that it's possible to do that. When I left school when I was sixteen, I was as I said, I left school at sixteen. I didn't want to do something that I didn't enjoy. And at that point, all I really liked was football. So got into football coaching, um, started doing my own little, I guess, coaching business one-on-one and then worked a club as well. Went to New York for a year, uh, went to Mexico for a couple of years. And when I was in Mexico, I uh, helped grow this football business and then realized that I could do it myself. So I came back to the UK at 20, set up a football academy, went really well. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but obviously really passionate about it and and, and and worked really hard and then I was thinking you know what else do I do I love doing and at 21 it was going out and getting drunk basically so I started uh, doing like nightclub events, grew this student events company to running kind of multiple cities multiple nights, bought a nightclub just from there it just seemed that anything I wanted to do was possible. Uh, obviously there's there, there's a a ton of failures along the way, and not it doesn't always work out how you how you anticipate. But I think when you kind of recognize that to turn an idea into something physical, uh, the enjoyment and and the process of going through that is is exhilarating. You know, as, as you said, it's incredibly hard, but it's, it's amazing to have have a thought one day that becomes a physical thing the next day, and then you just have the. Product. I think from that you can't really go back, or in my case, start with with a job or being told you have to be here at this time. It's hard. It's hard to. I guess it's hard to get, to go to go that way once you've done your own thing.
1: You know. I mean, we live in a system. We we grow up in a system where we go to school. We're taught, and we're often kind of given very limited choices about what we can be when we grow up. And very few of us dream about who we could be as people, uh, using our own uh, our own skills and our own running our own businesses. It feels like we're kind of pushed into the the workforce and that we're kind of almost conditioned to just accept what we're given. What was different about you that gave you that? Um, I'm just always curious about what makes people different compared to the masses. Because I think compared to the masses, you're a bit of an outlier, starting so young, getting involved in business. like was Were there people around you influencing you with business? Was there a, um, a role model that you looked up to that kind of inspired you to do things differently? Why did you take a different path compared to everyone else?
0: Not really. I mean... I had a bit of a, a major life event when I was 16. One of my one of my good friends was killed. I, I was standing next to him, so I saw it, and and it gave me this real sense of morality. Do you know what I mean? To be to, to see that in year old someone that I'd known my whole life, and it just over like that, it gave me this realization that I didn't want to get up every day and do something that I hate, just to then have a the weekend forgetting about how much I hate it to then repeat it the next week. Had had that realization really young, which then drove me to pursue things that I cared about and that I got fulfillment from. And in the early age, it was all about doing stuff that I really enjoyed. And as we progressed, it was about I went sideways a little bit. Is like, how much money can I make? Because so I thought, obviously, that I thought that was what would um give me more happiness. So, and then I guess what veganism was a catalyst for me for was understanding that it's actually being of service to other people that brings it all together and that makes it really worthwhile, you know? So trying to find things that tick all those three boxes. I mean, you have to be passionate about it to be able to work hard at it. You have to make a level of money to be able to continue doing it and spread the idea further if you really care about the idea. But ultimately the way that you go out and spread ideas and spread good things is by being in service to other people, you know? Recent press stories highlighting that we have such a limited time to do something about. And it's one of the things that frustrates me is one of the excuses you hear as to why people aren't vegan when they say, well, what difference am I going to make? all of us here and i use food as an example because it's the business that i'm in all of us here make at least three decisions a day and normally at least one of those decisions is on what food we eat we vote with our money so when we choose to buy a meal that contains no animal components whatsoever against choosing something that that does contain animals we're voting for the kind of future that we want for the world and the more people we can encourage to choose sustainable, ethical, conscious, healthy food choices, the quicker we can bring about change.
1: How much do you think is a sense of purpose important in playing a role in a person's sense of self worth? Because I feel like we also, again, grow up in a system where no one really gives us that sense of self worth. We have to really build it ourselves, unless we have really supportive parents who push us and encourage us and nurture us. And, you know, many people don't. You know, that sense of purpose, which you seem to have in your life today, you know, how important is that to you?
0: I think purpose is everything. You know, I think when you if you're going to work and you're entirely disconnected from the work that you're doing and how it impacts other people, it's, it's very difficult to feel excited about it because you don't recognize any form of contribution. We all want to contribute it's a natural um, survival mechanism in us on a chemical level that our body rewards behavior that's cooperative and beneficial to the group. It's why we want to fit in. It's why we want to, you know, play play a role, so to speak. So I think it's incredibly important. I think it's what veganism does for so many people. You know, I think it, it gives us a sense of purpose and, and, and something to, to aspire to achieve that's to of benefit to, to, to the world. So I think it's such a powerful uh, realization and, and certainly for me, it kind of, up until that point, I was very, for a, for a while at least, very self-centered. It was all about how much money can I make for me and my business and, and and this. And what veganism kind of helped me with was an understanding of how my choices and what I did impacted other people. And I think when you have that realization, you then feel more connected to, to other people. And when you feel connected, you feel happier because you know you recognize that there's more than just just you. I think to, in today's age and looking at, you know, Uh, kids and people growing up now as you you spoke about in terms of aspirations etc it's very difficult because we have this huge basis of comparison that's almost limitless and 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 often not even true and easily falsified in terms of who and what we compare ourselves to you know you're growing up you compare yourself to the other people in your high school perhaps and, and that's challenging enough now these kids are comparing themselves to people on the other side of the world with all of these things, as Photoshop, et cetera, et cetera. So a sense of self-worth, I mean, when you externalize that and do so in comparison to other people, it's it's incredibly challenging, particularly when you're operating from a, from a, a, a not-so-mature mindset, I suppose. When you visit a vegan business, or when you visit a business that is having a vegan menu, that, for some businesses, is such a big step. It's such a risk for them. You don't understand, well, we're, as consumers, we're, we're very, with some of us that aren't quite aware what actually goes into it. For, for, a, for a fully meat restaurant to put a vegan dish on their menu, to buy in the produce, to go through the process of developing the recipe, to list it, they're taking a risk and putting it out there. If it's utter shit, do not go on TripAdvisor when they're terrible food. Message them. If you're aware of how to make it better, help them. Start the conversation. Don't perpetuate the narrative that we're all like vindictive, ultra hard to please people. Send a message, hey, I came in for your vegan roast the other day, and I love the fact that you guys are really trying to do it. The potatoes in particular were great. What I would say is, maybe think about this for this dish against TripAdvisor, one star. Went there, vegan roast, crap, never going again. They then will not put a vegan roast on again. And the week after when someone goes there and they want to eat a vegan roast and it's not there you've maybe if they're not actual vegan you've put them in a position where they have to choose a meat option
1: For young people growing up today I really feel for them because people sort of under 20 We're living in this social media age, and I don't know if anyone who's listening has watched The Social Dilemma yet on Netflix, but I really, really encourage you to watch it. It is a sort of powerful indictment of the power of social media and what it's doing to us as people, not just with things like fake news, which, according to this study mentioned in the film, spread six times faster than real news, but also this this place of comparison where each of us every morning when we roll out of bed, we look at Instagram and we see thousands of lives unfolding in front of us whether that's entrepreneurs in business or people in fashion and we're constantly and we can't help ourselves as human beings compare ourselves to them
0: when you go to google and type in climate change is you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that google knows about your interests
1: that's not by accident that's a design technique What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest.
0: Google. Twitter.
1: Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real world
0: behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless.
1: Fake news spreads six times faster than true news. We're being bombarded with rumors. Everyone's entitled to their own facts. There's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be, how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This
0: is Checkmate
1: on humanity. What effect do you think, as someone who's obviously, you know, very passionate about social media, what do you, what effect do you think that this tool is having on us? Is it always just positive news, or, or do you think there's all this negativity and all this comparing is actually eroding who we are as people.
0: Yeah, I really like that you use the word tool because I think it is a tool. I think that, you know, you can't, you obviously can, but I think it's potentially wrong to label that it's social media is the problem. I watched uh, The Social Dilemma and I completely agree. And perhaps the way that it's being taken, the direction it's being taken in now, then yes, I think that there's a valid argument for that. But ultimately, it's down to how consciously you use it, right? So... You know things like clearing out the people you follow to make sure you're only following people that post things that resonate with you and that uplift you etc making sure you know trying to create some rules for yourself around conscious use um it's difficult for for, for for you and i because we use it a lot for work so you can catch yourself kind of scrolling aimlessly through but i also credit social media with helping me learn and uncover new things you know i i I credit it for opening my mind up to new ideas. I've discovered certain podcasts through social media or books or places to go. Like I think it can be incredibly helpful, but I also recognize it can be incredibly damaging. And I think ultimately the consciousness that determines the way that we interact with it will determine the experience.
1: But what happens if we can't decide? Sorry, what if happens if we can't decipher what is true and what, what isn't? Like you mentioned learning. Um, And you also mentioned, and I've obviously recommended this as well, but on Second Thoughts, I I do think that there's nuance there of unfollowing people who don't lift you up and elevate you. We have to be very conscious that we don't end up in these sort of bubbles, these echo chambers, where we're only surrounded by people who agree with us politically and, you know, on issues of race and environment and health. And, you know, do you think that we not face the the danger of essentially living in this little space where everyone agrees with us and we actually aren't ever challenged. For example, if, if, you know, if I shared something on social media, I would, and and it was questionable, I'd want people to reach out to me and say, Hey, this is questionable. Have you checked your sources? Have you checked the source? You know, this person's involved in racism or violence or whatever, please don't share this kind of stuff. I want people to do that. But if I only share, if I only am connected to people who kind of agree with everything I say, do we not face that echo chamber problem?
0: I mean, yeah, totally. Totally. I think there's a need to be objective, but there's also a need to, you know, be a person that's open and willing to, to, to look beyond their, their ideas and, and, and their theories. I think the, the fake news thing is incredibly dangerous. It, it's, it's getting harder and harder to determine what is real and what isn't. And I think particularly today, when there's so many issues that we're experiencing globally, it's very, easily to, very easy to falsify information. Or to make things appear as they aren't, you know, it's, it's scary. You you don't necessarily know what's true, what what's true and what isn't. So it's, it's
1: it is it is. I don't know if anyone's um, seen a deep fake before, but the deep fakes. Are absolutely terrifying if you if you go on YouTube and you search Deep Fake Barack Obama, there is technology now where it can suck up thirty minutes of video footage and audio of a person speaking, and then what this system can do is it can spit out a video of that person speaking saying anything you want them to say, so you could potentially falsify a politician's speech or you could falsify an actor or an actress saying something you know racist perhaps to cause and instigate violence. And this is the scary thing. We're living in a sort of black mirror world where we literally, when we're watching things on pixels in on screens, we don't know how real it is. Um, and that is the, the scary future that's <laughs> sitting in front of us.
0: Our technology advancement has outpaced our spiritual maturity and ability to be able to consciously use these platforms for good.
1: But... Obviously, there is dark and light in everything, as we know, and there is a lot of good out there. And there's a lot of good in social media um, and in business as well. And bringing it back to business, when it comes to business and being an entrepreneur, what's your thoughts on kind of winners and losers in business? Do you think that we should step on people to get to the top, step on our competitors to, to get ahead? Or do you feel like we should have a society where there's more collaboration? What are your thoughts on on those two models? I mean,
0: I've definitely been on both sides. Uh, When I was younger, in particular, you know, I guess more kind of more naive. It was all about beating competitors and and being number one, et cetera. I think what I I love about vegan businesses, ultimately, uh, vegan businesses, our collective agenda is shared in the sense that we're trying to create a world that's more compassionate, more ethical, more sustainable, et cetera. So for me, if I I had a a regular run-of-the-mill restaurant I would be competing with the restaurant next door for customers, whereas I openly welcome and encourage more vegan restaurants to open, who other people would view as competitors. But because they're trying to achieve the same thing as me, it's bigger than either of our business. That that's what I love. You see that support network from vegan businesses, and I've seen it during COVID. You know, there's a few WhatsApp groups that I'm in with different vegan restaurant owners, and everyone's helping each other and giving each other ideas, and we, we collaboration and you know, collective kind of sharing of information because what we're all trying to achieve is bigger than one of our restaurants being profitable. It's being able to provide food for that helps them change their mind on the way that they live with a view to moving towards a more sustainable and more ethical food system. So that mission is a lot stronger than the needs of one individual business. I think in terms of, you know, you're always going to have in the way that we, the capitalist society that we live in will always have an element of competition between different people. But ultimately, ultimately, I think that, you know, uh, we've had some amazing collaborations which has helped both businesses i think i'm certainly really open to collaboration and working with people and i think the whole kind of trying to tear down everyone else's building so yours is the biggest is nowhere near as valuable or as enjoyable or or as beneficial to focus on building your own you know we partnered with a zero emissions taxi firm to help people offset their uh, their emissions in traveling to us. We partner with Carbon Free Dining, which allows everyone that eats in our restaurant to offset the carbon footprint of their meal by planting a fruit tree in a developing world. Last month we planted 300 or so fruit trees. So it's how do we involve the community in the wider environment in the problem? Are we doing it in a way that's win-win? And ultimately a profit, it's a three-floor restaurant. So the way we've gone about it is, I've made it into four businesses in one. We have a cafe on the ground floor, we have a restaurant on the middle floor, we have a members and co-working space on the top floor and that serves to essentially create three businesses in the building. We're then on Liveroo and Collection, which creates another one. So in order for me to have that size building, I have to sweat the asset. If I just opened it as a restaurant, I'd, we probably wouldn't even be open now. The way I've made it into a profitable business is by opening it up over multiple dimensions in one
1: space. Yeah, there's nothing more wonderful than Working with other people who share your passion, even if they are a different business, like Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger were asked on Twitter by a journalist a couple of months back, "Do you, is there much rivalry between your companies? And Beyond replied quite quickly and said, two companies, one mission. Um, And I really believe that that's the kind of thing we need to foster in our community. You know, let's not be delusional. There is definitely competitive people within the vegan community. I think that, you know, we've experienced that at Plant Based News. And I know some of my friends in the food space have as well. But I think that we live or we're born into the system, which not forces, you could say forces, but it pushes us to be competitive, to get to the top. step on others to get to the top because you will win the award you'll get number one you know you always want to reach the top first so you can have that sense of pride that ego that is kind of instilled in us but actually you know human society has got to where it's got to because of collaboration because of the fact that we work together to get things done you look at the um, international space station look at cern the long hadron collider the gigantic 25 kilometer atom smasher which is revealing some of the most incredible things about the universe that humans have ever discovered and and in the irony is many people haven't even heard about it but you know those were all made by people who came together from like 15 different countries and worked together for a shared goal humans really can transform anything when we get together and that's the irony is that we're sort of fighting these two aspects of ourselves our sort of you know our positive tribal nature of coming together and working together to get things done, and our sort of negative, toxic tribal nature where we there's mistrust and there's the desire to be you know to to be king and kill everyone else on the way up. <laughs> you know I think we're at this sort of crossroads as a as a species. You know with with a climate crisis and the impending kind of breakdown of our society potentially because of pandemics, not just COVID-19, but a whole host of other viruses coming at us. But the irony is, is that also through hardship and through struggle, and, and it, it goes for business as well, it really makes you into the person that you are, doesn't it? When you have to suffer and struggle as a person or as a species or as a business, you have to pivot, don't you? Or you have to evolve. We're in the midst of this pandemic, potentially another lockdown coming in London, uh, lockdowns throughout the UK, 15 million people in lockdown in the UK currently. As a businessman and entrepreneur, like how have you pivoted and how have you changed what you're doing to kind of keep up? with what's going on in our society today.
0: I think there's no, there's no progress about discomfort. I think it's through discomfort that we, that we grow and we get better. So weirdly, I think I've got to, I'm 30 now and it's certainly something I wouldn't have said a few years ago, but got to the point where I almost welcome and encourage discomfort and challenge because I know that on the other side, I'm going to be better for it. And this year I've really enjoyed, if I'm completely honest. Not in the sense of, obviously, I, I, and I don't know, that sounds insensitive, but in the context that I mean it, I mean, I've enjoyed the challenge of having to pivot and having to change. In one of the businesses, the Opingham the House business, we obviously, I opened a restaurant in Brighton after six months of building it, only to have to close it two days later. So obviously, there's a huge amount of work that had gone in, but we had to take the decision to close. So that was incredibly frustrating but we've reopened in July and we've used the time to to really think about the model for opening and how we achieve that and what changes we need to make. Norwich, we flipped to a delivery model. I completely repurposed the kitchen space, extended it to almost double the size, I had free brands running on delivery there. We were doing free school meals for kids. We were doing um, collection, delivery, takeout boxes, et cetera. And it worked really, really well. We were able to keep things going. Um, And in London, we actually took uh, Vegan Doco to London. So we actually did a launch during lockdown, opened seven satellite kitchens across London to be able to serve vegan pizza, particularly working with delivery to see where there was a demand and a need for more vegan food in certain areas and be able to put something in there that was able to um, give that option. We brought that brand to London during lockdown, scaled it up. We're now doing a bit of a rehash of the menu as we're coming Hopefully, coming out of lockdown, I know there's potential potential news coming today that we may be going back in. But we we took the opportunity to 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 to, uh, to scale that up, and then I've got another business in football. We actually done a deal on a warehouse uh, to build our own indoor facility to have control of that uh, during lockdown as well. So it's been a really busy, and productive time. I, I worked the whole way through. I was going into central London every day, and I, I welcomed the downtime in in some regard in terms of doing a bit of housekeeping and getting getting things in order and reorganized and restructured, but also to flip the model and looking at how best to serve our community at a time when things had changed. And there was a tonne of opportunity to do that. We had a, uh, a productive
1: time, to be honest. That's amazing. What an inspiration, mate. Like, honestly, I think a lot of people would have given up and just shut the doors and gone off to, you know, got a job somewhere else. And then, and that is what happens with a lot of entrepreneurs. They start their businesses. It isn't what they thought it would be. They really struggle and battle and they end up going back to work for the man, as they say, um, and, and sort of slipping back in, into that, the previous world.
0: On that note, you know, had I not, I mean, I failed probably 12 businesses in the last 10 or so years, right? So that those failures have built a, re- a certain resilience that allows me when a problem occurs to not feel that instant doom. And I did feel that the first couple of times, the first three or four times, or when things used to get hard, it was that real anxiety and concern. But I think when you go through failures, and when you go through challenges and hardships, and the more you go through it, the more you build up a resilience to it. So when, you know, when lockdown happens, I said to one of my friends who's got a business as well and is, is, is quite in a similar position to me, we were really comfortable because we've practiced this time and time again. We've been through this, a similar thing time and time again. So when it comes around, you're in a position where you've built up that resilience over time. So you're in a position to be able to deal with it. You know, and the, the first, when you start a business and you, and you have a failure the first time, it feels like your life's ending. It feels like yeah. the world's crashing down on you and you, you know, you're embarrassed and you're ashamed. And When it happens for the 10th time, your your, your your mindset is, what lessons can I pull from this? I'm, I'm so grateful for what this is teaching me. What is this showing me? How can I use this to become better the next time? And, you know, I, I think it's only a failure when it's final. And it's only final when you stop. If you, if you, when you get, give up, if you, yeah, you give up and you do something else and you haven't failed because you're moving on to the next thing.
1: It's so true. I mean, I've been doing plant based news with Klaus for four years. Uh, previous to that, I was running my own agency and it was really hard work on my own. But when you have a business where you have employees, it's a whole nother ball game because you have a whole bunch of people that rely on you that we have a responsibility to financially. That comes with a whole added pressure. And I think many businesses, don't they? I think the stat is they fail within the first three years, most companies. Um, and that you know very few people actually survive past that. Um, and it's that tenacity and that courage, I think, which you have to foster. You have to encourage yourself. Obviously, we get encouragement from others to keep going um, because ultimately it is survival of the fittest. That is what it is in business. But business is nothing without money, obviously. Um, and of the many businesses if you've, you've launched, you've um succeeded in getting investment and support investment always seems to be a, a tricky thing for people do you get investment don't you do you start on your own build it up slowly when it comes to investors you know what are what are some of the top tips and things that you've learned about getting investment whether to take it not to take it how much should you be giving away of your company and and, and the best way to approach investment
0: oh i've done so much wrong with this i've got loads of lessons here No, the first few companies I started, I I bootstrapped and built myself. I didn't raise any money, and I think it's a really good way to learn. In terms of having raised money, the last couple of times, I've made sure that I always invest myself, and I think that goes down well with investors to show that you're not only investing in terms of time, but you're willing to put your own capital up. Should you have capital to put up, I think if it's your first or second or even third business, then it's a good idea to try and try and bootstrap it and do it yourself and build it and learn yourself in your own way. I think. When you're raising money and not putting your own money up and you fail, it doesn't hit you as bad. I think you need to have that personal loss to really feel it. So, so that's, I think as well, you know, having invested in a few companies now myself, some of the things that I look for is that ultimately I invest in the person first and the idea second. I, I want to know a little bit, a lot about the person, what's their motivation, what drives them, what's their experience. And um, what's their ideas you know how how coachable or, or how much they're going to listen if they ask for input and advice etc so i think building up your own kind of resume and and, and i guess profile to, to be able to engage someone to invest and someone that's really done their done their research and you know they're bringing a business plan they've really thought about it they've done the they've done the proper analysis they've done the feasibility they've got a plan a plan b plan c they're, they're making sacrifices themselves i moved back into my parents house at 27 years old with no money didn't take a salary for, for 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 two years and worked seven days a week like showing that level of sacrifice and and work rate shows says to an investor that you're going to give it everything i think in terms of when you're selecting investors i always try and look for people that add more value than purely financial whether it be network whether it be knowledge whether it be contacts and and industry specific ideas or I, I think it's good to try and look for someone that, that, that ticks more box than just money but also understanding you know why you need the money and what you need it for a lot of people go out and, and set these ridiculous valuations on their company they think they need a ton of money and I think when you get a ton of money as well it's much easier to spend it I think mean, one of the great things about bootstrapping and, and you know you, you're very careful you're you, you know I've become very tight I only spend on stuff i know is gonna 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 deliver me a return on investment or it's gonna be uh I, I have to make every pound work and i think that's a really good training to go through whereas if you may raise a ton of money and you're just kind of spending it uh splurging on, on
1: just blow on, it all it, blow it all
0: yeah I've do that, you know?
1: when it comes to investment and working with someone who you're selling a share of your business to as a, as a small business, we want to grow and we want to scale up so we can deliver what we deliver, whether it's digital services or FMCG or uh, retail, whatever it is that we do to, to a much, much bigger cons- customer base. How do we maintain uh, control of our business without giving away too much of our business to an investor and still maintain that control? Is it possible? Because obviously with more investment comes more control of the business. And how do we strike that balance between giving away, uh, uh, you know, a majority share of our business uh, and then potentially being pushed out of our business?
0: I think you have to be very careful how you structure it. I mean, my advice would always be to spend the money in the initial stages on a, on a lawyer, get a good lawyer, communicate really your level of understanding. Be open and honest. You know, no questions are a stupid question uh, and have a full understanding of how the process works. And I think also where people go wrong is they give away too much at seed round or the, their initial funding round. So when it comes to having to raise money later on, they're having to re dilute, 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 and they end up, as you say, losing control of their business. I think it's all about how it's structured. I think it's worth spending the money in the early stages on a on a proper solicitor and proper advice to make sure that you fully understand what you're getting into and what level of what level of shares you're, you're willing to give away. And doing your research, you know, it's, it's one thing for them, for an investor to, to do their research on you, but really look at the people that you're looking to bring in. It can be very appealing and very tempting to just go after the first person that offers you money because you want to grow your business, you're passionate, you, you know, you think you need the money, but just take an investment from the first person that comes along without really understanding their motives or them as a person. it's you know, You're getting into a late relationship with someone, particularly if the business is successful and it's something that goes on for a long time. It's like being in a, in a relationship. So it's not something that you should you should just jump into and and having met someone once you know I'd, I'd really take the time to to do your due diligence, your research, and make sure you really understand the person that you're working with.
1: Now, I was just changing track a bit to the people that we work with um, and the people that work with us. Um, we're working with veganwomensummit.com, which is a, a new and exciting initiative to help raise women, more women in, in into positions of influence in the business world. Um, and based on some of the research we've looked at, it's pretty shocking. Less than 3% of capital worldwide goes to female founders and even less than 1% to women of, of color. In your experience as an entrepreneur and obviously as a man, you know, what, what has been your insight in regards to women in business? Why do you think there seems to be such a, a huge disparity between the people running the show and, and gender?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point. It's obviously, it's obviously the, the numbers don't lie. Um, I didn't realize it's quite that much. So that That's really interesting. I've worked with some incredible female entrepreneurs. I have some incredible female entrepreneurs in my network. I have some amazing women, um, in my businesses. So, so that, that that does that does surprise me. I think it's something that's that's changing, or certainly perhaps it's just my the echo chamber that I I spend time in. But for me, it it, it doesn't matter if someone's male, female, their, their their ethnic background, their 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 childhood or whatever. The generation that's growing up now is more aware than ever that that that, that isn't an issue or shouldn't be something that restricts someone's ability to run a business. Yeah, it really surprised me, those numbers. It really has surprised me.
1: The Vegan Women's Summit have released um, a survey, which we're going to be kind of profiling over the next several weeks up until the summit itself. Um, and one other interesting point they made was that many female founders um, who co who found businesses struggled to get past a $10 million in revenue without actual proper ecosystem. Nearly half of the founders they interviewed were mothers and expressed ex- exclusion from the industry opportunities due to their time commitments from caregiving. There seems to be a kind of like, I guess, a, a you know, a fundamental issue with the way women are seen in business and the opportunity. There's lots of tropes that are rolled out where by businesses where they say, you know, women who are potentially going to have children. I think women are have question marks put over their heads because I think you know businesses see women as do they do businesses see women as a as a possible financial liability in that sense and and they are discriminated against because of the fact that women have to go off and have maternity leave and, and businesses see that as as a unique challenge, but you know, there has to be ways around that. There has to be ways in which we can work with the gender imbalance in in a way and, and, and improve it. I understand
0: it from both sides. I think perhaps there needs to be a legisl- yeah. legislative change to support that. Because let's say you are a, you know, you're a small business and money's incredibly tight. You know, it, it is concerning to to, to, to an entrepreneur, someone operating that business that, that, you know, the implication for the business, if, say, A couple of women in that business were pregnant and had to take that that time and you were eligible to to pay them when they're not in there and you're already running at a loss like it's not always as black and white this is what you should do but i think if there was there was a legislative change where you know government stepped in and 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 kind of buffered that that it it could change the way of support
1: a bit like the furlough scheme right something like that exactly
0: you know and i also that it also concern me that then women that perhaps want to be mothers feel that they can't go and pursue that route as well as have a business like we shouldn't make women feel that they can't have children because it would damage their career and i i, I entirely sympathize with, with women that may have felt like that in the past And i imagine it's certainly something that's happened
1: on a day-to-day basis, on a practical nature and in, in a practical way like what what can we as men do to support more women in business and help help them you know reach higher
0: i think we've got to celebrate and support them at every opportunity i think you know Uh, for me um it's 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 taking a taking an approach where we are able to support in terms of investment in terms of profile in terms of using our platforms and and but being conscious being conscious of it in the first place you know sharing this information like the information you've just given me making that information commonplace and having an open dialogue to to discuss what we can do to bring about change and and to kind of help Help where we help where we can. You know, I, I think first for, is to, to make people aware that it's actually happening. Because as, as, as silly as it sounds, I, I didn't quite know that the figures were, were were that bad.
1: Absolutely, I think that's the thing. It's just enlightening people and giving them opportunity to to make those changes and to support more people or more women in their in those uh, environments and in those spaces. Moving on now to personal life and you know well-being. Part of being an entrepreneur and being involved in business is long hours and a lot of stress, and a lot of demands and a lot of calls and emails and texts and everything else. You obviously seem like a man who's on the go all the time. You know, what are some of your Kind of lessons learned over the fast past few years regarding downtime and opportunities to recharge yourself. Because there can be a tendency to, as an entrepreneur, when you work for yourself, to overwork, to be plugged in 24 7, to be available 24 7, and not rest and burn yourself out. And, you know, a burnt out entrepreneur is no use to anyone. How have you evolved that? And have you ended up being burnt out ever?
0: Yeah, it happens to me. It's happened to me a, a few times, to be honest. And I've definitely been guilty of that in the past not being able to switch off, you know, checking and replying to emails at all times of day, seven days a week, constantly contactable and, and really feeling the pressure of that. I, I also, if possible, might have this kind of thing, which I, is a <laughs> terrible, terrible trait, but I, I tend to, if there's a problem, not share it with people for fear that the, it will negatively affect them and try and resolve it myself a lot of the time. So I, th- I think one of the things that, that I've got a lot better at is I've, I've got a coach that I speak to. And I use that as an opportunity to vent and really speak and, and and just speaking out loud and working through problems in that way has been incredibly helpful for me. I think having a solid morning routine has really helped. So I, I get up pretty early um, and I have my morning routine around meditation, yoga, breath work, and starting the day with a podcast or a book that that is uplifting and making that, creating that first hour and a half, two hours in the morning Uh, go to the gym or or, or go for a run and that first two hours of my day before I start work kind of sets up my my mind and body for the day and it's something that I've I've found has been incredibly helpful to make sure that I'm uh, the best best version of myself to go into the business because ultimately you know I use the driver car analogy you can have the best car in the world but if the driver is tired fallen asleep stressed whatever the car won't perform and it's the same as a business if the person running the business isn't in top shape to, to, to run that business and the business won't perform as it should. So I think we need to be aware that as entrepreneurs, we have to work work on ourselves and, and look after ourselves to, in order to be the in the best possible position to run our business properly. And for a lot of us, it, it's removing that guilt. You know, I had it, when I opened the, the the first restaurant, I think I was there seven days a week for a year, all hours, constantly. And it's, it's not, there's a point where it's not productive. You know, you have to remove that guilt like and it was the first time i would taken significant money to run to have a business and I was so guilty and so concerned about losing other people's investment that I was willing to near on kill myself in the process to make sure it didn't happen Um, and I think even more so when you're doing it for you know as as vegan entrepreneurs we're we're, we're so connected and to the mission and what we're trying to achieve that we're willing to put ourselves through hell to make to, to to get there so I, th- I think it definitely needs to be a balance. Balance
1: is being the key word. Yeah, we've got to ease up on ourselves a little bit and kind of sell some slack. Moving on from business, you are a very fashionable young man. Um, <laughs> for, obviously, when I first met you, um, did the standard like Instagram stalk to look back through all your different pictures and, you know, learn a bit about you. Um, you've always seemed to be someone who has been really into, into fashion or dressing, you know, really stylishly. Do you see style and fashion evolving uh, into something very different? Because traditionally, a lot of fashion included many animal products, including silk and fur and leather. There is a huge opportunity in business for for vegan fashion, obviously beauty as well, but in fashion, particularly in in innovative new materials. Um, Do you ever see yourself getting involved in any kind of fashion business or a fashion product of any sort? I mean,
0: never say never, but one of my new resolutions was to to try and uh, hone in and focus on food and hospitality. I see that's where I'm able to to make the most impact. Would I would I invest in that space? A hundred percent. Um. So I'm la- allowing myself to invest outside of outside of food, but in terms of running something in that space, not at the moment. Although I, I think it's really exciting. I think you know seeing the stats around how many young people are adopting vegan lifestyles, which was, gives me hope for 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 for, t- for tomorrow and 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 the future. I think where there's a need, there's businesses pop up to, to, to meet that need. And there's more people want to ditch animal products. I hope that there's more people that are able to provide solutions in the form of businesses that, 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 that do so in a way that tempts more people to make that make that switch.
1: Absolutely, and there's so much innovation going on in the in the vegan fashion scene. Um, if anyone listening is interested, please do check out the likes of Joshua Katcher. He is an incredible young man in New York who's producing a wonderful vegan uh, menswear brand. And there's so many new companies bringing up all the time, making leather from everything from kombucha to pineapple, there's uh, all sorts of cool things going on. Before we let you go, um, I always love to ask my guests this one final question. If you were stuck on a desert island, and it was just you and a pig, obviously, you don't eat the pig because you're a vegan. Um, And I gave you one vegan dish, one music album and one book. What would you take with you, Mr. Louis Blake?
0: Oh, do you know what I I went to I went to see our mutual friend uh, Derek Sarno uh, last week and he made probably the best mac and cheese I've ever had. So um, probably Derek's mac and cheese would be the one dish. I'm reading a book at the moment called Autobiography of a Yogi, which I'm really enjoying. Um, and it's taken me forever to finish. So, so, so maybe that one.
1: And your music album or your artist, since we're in the age of Spotify, who would you be listening to on your days on the island? Do you know what? Sam Garrett yes i know sam yeah beautiful voice lovely guy as well so yeah probably sam well mr louis blake thank you so much for joining us on the pbn podcast it's always a pleasure to chat to you my friend thank you for having me enjoyed it we'll be putting all of louis links and business links in the description so please do check out louis i've been your host Robbie lochie and we'll be back next time with more veganism food fashion technology and everything in between